Kibar, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, by the river Kibar in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was on him. I looked and I saw a violent storm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side each had the face of a lion, and on the left the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spreading out upwards, each wing touching that of the creature on either side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures, it was bright, and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures spared back and forth like flashes of lightning. And then moving to verse 25. Then there came a voice from above, the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. Uh, my late teens, quite a while ago now, were a particularly traumatic time in my life. 
my parents had recently divorced. It wasn't very nice. My dad had run off with the vicar's wife, as you do. And also, um, we were going through a really difficult time with my adopted sister. Uh, she'd lived with us since she was very small, when, since she was a baby. Uh, but once she reached her teenage years, uh, she uh, decided to go all out teenage, but to an extreme. Uh, she was extremely violent. Uh, she would disappear for weeks and weeks at a time. We didn't know where she was. She would steal from us. Uh, she got very involved in drugs and prostitution. And, and it was a really quite traumatic experience uh, for me and for my mum and for my brother, who were the other people in the house at the time. It was one of those experiences where it felt like uh, she was just intent on destroying herself, but also anybody uh, that dared to love her. And it was an experience in my life that felt like it really just took me to the edge. Uh, it felt like at times I was just clinging on to normality and sanity by my fingertips. I'd had quite a straightforward life up to the age of about 15. Uh, and this all happened when I was about 17, 18. And it just felt like I was hanging on every day. And I was on the edge every day during that time. It also felt like God was really far away as well. I don't know that you've had an experience which is really tough. And God, when you need him most, just feels really far away. At that time, I also went to uh, a, a small church in Yorkshire. It had been the church that I'd grown up in from the age of 10. Uh, and even though it was a pretty normal church, it was pretty mundane in lots of ways. There were only 70 people there. It wasn't very exciting. Uh, it was a church that I also loved. It was a church where I had been loved as a child and as a teenager as well. And so it was family and it was home. The evening service I hardly ever went to. It had about 12 people uh, that went to the evening service. So I hardly ever bothered to go along to that. I'd usually go somewhere else if I could be bothered to go to church on a Sunday night. But I remember one particular day. And I don't know why, but I just had a, a real need to go to church. And it was during all this chaos when everything was rubbish and God wasn't really on the horizon much. But I just felt that I should go to church in the evening. I went along to my service. It was a communion service. Um, and in the church that we went to, it had a communion rail, a bit like the one that's behind the drums here, if you see it. It's sort of a communion rail across the front of the church. And when you went forward to communion, you went right up to the communion rail and you knelt down to receive communion. So it got to that part in the service and I went forward uh, and knelt ready to receive communion from Paul, our vicar, who was uh, distributing the bread. I remember sat there, this is the only bit that I remember I think of about any service in my whole teenage years, but I remember it really clearly because I sat there ready to receive communion and I had my eyes closed and after a while I felt Paul our vicar come and put his hands on my head and I remember thinking, oh isn't that lovely, you know, he knows what I'm going through, um, he knows because he was going through half of it as well because his wife had run off with my dad, but anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, you know, isn't that lovely that he is just praying for me um, at the moment? And he, as he was praying for me, and I felt that like his hands on my head, I just felt like a deep sense of God's presence with me. It just felt like the Holy Spirit was just filling me right from the top of my head, right down to the tips of my feet. And I just felt a peace 
descending on me as well in the chaos that was my life at the time. Anyway, after a while, I thought, this is wonderful. I opened my eyes to sort of say to Paul, now you can give me communion. But Paul wasn't there. In fact, I looked, and Paul was right the other end of the communion rail. He hadn't even got to me at this point. And I was like, whoa, that's a little bit of a freaky moment. What is going on there? Whose hands are on my head? There was nobody else there, and Paul was right down the other end of the communion uh, rail. Anyway, I received communion, and as I went back to my seat, I thought, well, I think that was Jesus. I think that was Jesus showing me that he was with me. I think that was Jesus giving me a sense of his presence with me during this really difficult time in my life. And it was something that actually sustained me through the days and the difficult weeks and months ahead. Life didn't suddenly get easier. All the problems weren't sorted. But from that evening on, even though life continued to be a struggle, I had a deep sense of God's presence with me. I had a deep sense that God had it and that he was with me and he hadn't abandoned me and he was with me through everything. It was a really sort of faith-changing moment. Sometimes God just breaks into our our everyday in a way that can sustain us uh, for whatever we're going through or whatever is lying ahead in our lives. Ezekiel, the guy in our passage, his everyday is pretty grim when we meet him. Uh, The year that we meet him is 597 BC. It's pretty mind-blowing. But I want you to think of Ezekiel like this guy on the screen because it's not too far from what Ezekiel's situation was at the time. When we meet Ezekiel in 597 BC, he is 30 years old. I don't know whether you heard that at the beginning of the passage. And for five years, he has been a refugee in a place called Babylon. His first 25 years of his life uh, were spent in Israel. Uh, He'll have lived in Jerusalem or somewhere near that because we know that Ezekiel's dad was a priest in the temple. And because Ezekiel's dad was a priest in the temple, Ezekiel's life up to the age of 25 would have been in preparation for him following in his father's footstep and becoming a priest himself in the temple. And so his life would have been all about learning about Yahweh, the Lord. It would all have been about learning the intricacies of the sacrificial system in, in the temple. It would all have all been about learning about the do's and don'ts of the law so that when he was 30 years old, the age that he could become a priest, he'd be able to start serving God in the temple in Jerusalem. But now here he is. And he's 30 years old. And he isn't working in the temple in Jerusalem as a priest. But he's sat on the banks of a river, the river Kiba. And he's in exile. That means he's, he's been sent away from his home place. He's a refugee and he's desperate and he's desolate. He's witnessed some immense suffering of his people. He'll have seen members of his family killed, members uh, of, of his religion killed, his community broken up and dispersed. He's far, far from home. He's far from the temple, and he's deeply 
disappointed with his life. He's deeply disappointed with how things have turned out. He's not able to do the role that he was meant to be doing, that he's been trained for for the last 25 years. His life and his community is a mess, and he's thinking, what is it all about? Where are you, God? You know, why have, why have I and all my community been going through this suffering? What is going on? Why have you abandoned me? Skip forward two and a half thousand years, and the depressing truth is that there are today people all over this world that we see on our news feeds, on our phones, that we see on our TV screens, who are experiencing the similar horrors of being a refugee as Ezekiel did two and a half thousand years ago. Like many millions of refugees today who are traveling hopelessly, wearily across the world to try and escape their situations. Like refugees who are stuck in camps. Like refugees who are traumatized and hungry and scared. Ezekiel would have been desperate like that. But there he is in the land of the Babylonians. And then we read in verse 3 of Ezekiel chapter 1 this. The hand of the Lord was upon him. The hand of the Lord was upon him. In the midst of this desperate situation, in the midst of his desperate life, he discovers that God hasn't abandoned him at all. In fact, not only that, not only has God not abandoned him, but God reveals himself to Ezekiel in that completely bonkers, momentous, sort of psychedelic vision of himself on the banks of the River Kiba. It's a majorly uh, sort of mental vision of who God is. He sees, uh, we read, a violent storm that's coming from the north in this vision. There are flashes of lightning and light filling uh, the sky around him. There's fire, and in the fire are these completely mad heavenly creatures that have multiple wings and four faces, uh, the face of a human and a lion and an ox and an eagle as well. Uh, you can read 10,000 books about what that all means, but I won't go into it now because uh, we'll all fall asleep before we get to the end. It's like, and everything is moving in this vision. It's really, really dynamic. It's like a complete 3D audio-visual, fully sensory experience uh, that Ezekiel is going through. And this vision pulls Ezekiel in completely. And then he looks up, and above these moving heavenly creatures is a vault. And in the vault is a throne. And the throne is made of lapis lazuli. It's a stunning blue stone, a precious stone. It was the most precious stone known in the ancient world. And this throne is made of this stunning blue stone. And high above the throne is the figure like that of a man. The figure like that of a man. And it's glowing and it's filled with fire and metal. And the radiance around uh, this figure like that of a man is the colors of a rainbow. In this vision that Ezekiel have, it's like heaven is completely ripped open. And Ezekiel gets to see what is happening in the heavenly place, in the holy of holies, in the presence of God. And it's completely mind-blowing for him. 
And all that he can do in that moment, all that he can do is fall flat on his face. He falls face down before God and then a voice speaks to him and says this, son of man, stand up so I can speak to you. I sort of think he'll say it like that. Son of man, stand up so I can speak to you. But we find that Ezekiel can't stand up. He's so overwhelmed. He's so overawed by this vision that he's seen that he can't stand up. But then it says that the spirit enables him to stand. And when he's on his feet, God begins to speak and to tell him that he has chosen Ezekiel to be a prophet to the Israelites, to speak his word of judgment and correction uh, to the people of Israel. It's an incredible picture. And remember, Ezekiel is already a man of God. He knows a lot about God. He's been taught really, really well by his father and the other priests in the temple. But in that bonkers moment uh, by the river Kiba in, in uh, Babylonia, far from home, desperate, desolate, shattered, desperate because of his refugee life, God breaks in to his everyday. And he experiences the might and the power and the glory of, a, of God in a way that just completely blows his, his mind to the extent that if you go on and you read chapter 3, verse 15, we find out that after this, he hasn't been able to function for the next seven days. He's been completely out of it for seven days because it's so blown his mind what he's seen. I love this vision of heaven. It reminds me of the vision of heaven that we, we, we get in uh, Revelation 4 that John writes about. It's really similar to this. It's incredible. It's like we're taken into the throne room uh, and there are living creatures and people worshipping God and they're all joining in together singing, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb. And worship for me is like that. When I'm stood here uh, singing, uh, sometimes it's like I'm taken into the holy of holies. And I imagine myself uh, in that vision that Ezekiel had, or in the vision of Revelation 4, where I'm joined with all the saints and the angels and the weird and wonderful four-winged creatures and everything that's going on, worshipping God before this incredible throne. Ultimately, I think that this vision of this heavenly place, this place of worship and awe and majesty, this encounter that Ezekiel has with God is so real, is so life-changing, that actually expands Ezekiel's faith so much that actually it sustains Ezekiel for the days and the weeks, the months, the years that are to come as he starts to follow God in a way that he has never done before, as he starts to worship God in a way that he ha he's never done before, but also so that he can speak the truth of God in a way that he has never done before. This vision of heaven is exactly what Ezekiel needs to do what God has planned for him to do. And some of it is really tough if you continue to read through Ezekiel. I just think before we go any further that for some people here today, You've been sat here already thinking, I just would love to have an encounter with God like that. You know, I don't really need, you know, I don't need a full-on vision of heaven. I don't need, you know, lapis lazuli thrones. 
But actually, I just need to know that God is real and that God loves me and that God has a plan for me. I want to know that sort of experience that Libby had when she was knelt down on that communion rail. If that is you and that's what you're thinking, then don't leave here tonight before coming without coming for prayer in a few moments when we're worshipping together. I just think God has so much more for you. So take the opportunity. Get somebody to come and pray for you, that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you would know more of who God is. So sometimes, like me, like Ezekiel, we need that sort of radical encounter with God to just keep us going through the tough times so that we'll know three things. And these are the three things we're just going to look at briefly for the next few minutes. So that we will know that God is above all. So that we will know that God is very present. And so that we will know that God has a plan. First of all, God is above all. Whatever we're going through at the moment, and I'm sure that if we went round and really turned our insides out, there'd be a whole load of stuff that are going on in lots of our lives that maybe nobody else knows about. Some of it is only known by you. But I expect that lots of our lives are blissful compared with the lives of the refugee who's trapped in Yemen, facing starvation and disease and bombings. A lot of our lives are blissful or idyllic compared with the teenager who has escaped from Syria where he's seen all his family killed and he's now trapped in a refugee camp in Libya trying to find a way out, trying to escape. All our lives would have been blissful compared with the situation that Ezekiel found himself in where he's lost everything and everyone and he's in exile far from his home, far from his God, far from his temple as well. I expect that he's having experiences and feelings that lots of people who are refugees are having too. But as we've heard into the grim and grey desolation of Ezekiel's life, God breaks in and he brings colour and he brings light and some of it's completely psychedelic and mind-blowing. But he shows that he is above all. In that moment, in that incredible vision that Ezekiel has of God, of heaven, God reveals himself to be the God who is above all, above all things, above all people, above all situations. And it's like in that moment that the God who is above all, who is glorious and majestic and mighty, rips open he opens heaven and comes near to Ezekiel and says, I haven't abandoned you. I am the God who is above all, but I want to come near to you. I want to reveal myself to you. This God who is above all and is on a throne and is being worshipped day and night by these mental uh, four, six-winged creatures, this is the same God who broke into time in the person of Jesus. This is the same God who took on human flesh and lived a human life. This is the same God who was willing to go to a cross because he loved you and I so much 
This is the God who is above all, but chooses to come near to you and I because he loves us and he wants to have that lifelong relationship with us. This who is the same God who is above all, but chooses to come near. And so secondly, we discover, and Ezekiel discovers, that God is present. God is present. In the very place that Ezekiel thought that God was absent, Babylon, God shows that he is with Ezekiel, shows him that he is in fact present. God is present in Babylon. Babylon uh, was a place synonymous with idol worship, with ungodly activity, with evil and violence. And into that place, God appears. To this people who felt rejected and abandoned, God appears in all his fullness and power and glory. What an incredible reminder it is to us as well that there is no place, there is no person and there is no people group who are out of the reach of our almighty God who wants to come near and reveal himself to us. We all have times, don't we, where, where God feels far away, where there are places we go and people we hang out with, maybe in our university, maybe in our schools, maybe in our workplace, maybe in our families. We feel there are people where God can't uh, be in that place with those people. Or that place, you know, that group of mates that I, I go out with, you know, God is not there when I'm with them, that's for sure. This passage reminds us that God is in the places and with the people uh, which we cannot imagine that God would be. God spoke to Hamza in Mecca, in the Arab world, in the center of Islam. God broke into his life and transformed it and turned it around. We have times too personally where we feel that God is stranger, where God feels like a million miles away from us. Maybe you're feeling like that today where you've got so many questions that you're thinking, does God even exist at all? I've been sat here, I've been watching people worshipping, but I feel completely detached. Does God even exist at all? I've been praying about stuff, and God hasn't been answering my prayers. I've been trying, and God is, has not come near to me. And it's in those moments where I know that for myself, I could just choose to give up. I could just choose to say, well, stuff you, God. You know, I've tried and I've given up. You aren't real. You haven't come near. That's it. I can't be bothered. But instead, what I've done during those times is just held on to my knowledge and experience of God. Sometimes I've literally had to say to myself, Libby, you know that God hasn't abandoned you because you've been there before, and you know that he has answered prayers before. Sometimes I've had to say to myself, Libby, you know that God is real, uh, because remember that time when he spoke to you in such a way that you couldn't have made it up yourself. It wasn't in your head. Sometimes I have to remember that time when I was 17, 18, sat at that communion rail, and say, remember the time where you physically felt the presence of God on your head. Remember the times where you asked God to show you a sign about something, and it was so bonkers what happened that it had to be God. Sometimes I have to speak those truths over myself, and I have to choose to believe, and I have to rely on my knowledge and experience of God. Sometimes we have to tell our souls to believe, to trust, to choose 
God, to choose God. And maybe this is what Ezekiel has had to do time and time again. Remember, he's had five years as a refugee by the time we've met him, five years of suffering and desolation. And then suddenly, probably when he was least expecting it, God shows that he is more present than Ezekiel could ever have imagined, that he isn't back in Jerusalem, residing in the temple, but he's here with his people, showing himself, wanting to speak to them then. 70 times through the book of Ezekiel, God says these words, then you will know that I am Yahweh. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. God just keeps reminding Ezekiel all the time, remember, 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 then you will know that I am Yahweh. So God is present. And lastly, Ezekiel is reminded that God has a plan. God has a plan. Now remember, Ezekiel spent 25 years, first 25 years of his life, preparing uh, to be a priest in the temple in Jerusalem, that he would have started that job when he was 30. He's here as a refugee on the banks of the River Kiba, not doing what he spent 25 years preparing for. Imagine if that was you. Imagine if you had spent 25 years doing the university degree that you're doing, and then couldn't do anything with it at the end. Some of us won't anyway. Um... Imagine uh, that you have, I went to Vicar Factory for 25 years and then suddenly I wasn't able to do what God had called me to do. Maybe you've been on a training course preparing for something and then you're not able to do. That is minute compared with what Ezekiel has had to go, to go through because not only has he not, he's not able to do the job he's prepared for for 25 years, but his whole life has been taken away from him. Everything and his life is purposeless. Everything that he's lived and trained for is no longer there. And he's thinking, what on earth was all that for? What a waste. What is going on, God? Maybe you can relate to that feeling. Your hopes and dreams are shattered. The relationship that you've been in has fallen apart, gone nowhere. That job you were working for hasn't happened. That exam or course that you've been doing, you've crashed in it. That thing you've been building up to hasn't come to fruition. And we just feel disappointed and are left with a whole bunch of questions that are unanswered. What on earth was all that about? Years ago, uh, my parents-in-law were moving to a new town. And uh, they were trying to buy a new house in this town. And um, they, they bid on a few houses that were suitable for them. And bizarrely, every single house, it wasn't like a really nice area that everybody wanted to live in either, like Edinburgh, it was Grimsby. Um, but they, were, they bid on a number of houses and, and they couldn't get any house to live in. And the time where they were moving was coming closer and closer and closer. And eventually they came across a house um, that was miles too big for their family. Uh, it had five bedrooms, it was a huge house, uh, and there was four of them in the family. And, but they thought, oh, flip, we're getting desperate, we're just, it's just ridiculous, it's out of our price range, and it's miles too big, but we better go for it anyway. And bizarrely, they got this house for a really reasonable price. 
And at the time, they described saying, you know, we didn't, we didn't know what was going on. It's like, why do we want this house? It's miles too big. Uh, you know, it just seems completely ridiculous. Anyway, they moved to Grimsby, lived in the house. Within that year, uh, John's auntie and uncle uh, were killed by lightning uh, whilst camping in Spain. And John and their children had to come and live with John's family and actually spent the rest of their lives uh, living with John's family. They needed five bedrooms to accommodate that part of the family that became theirs as well. And they talk about how they had no idea what was going on. It seemed such a waste. It seemed a bit, of, a bit purposeless. They couldn't understand, but God had a plan all along. And as God speaks to Ezekiel through these first three chapters, of this book. We see that all that preparation, everything that had happened in Ezekiel's life so far, was leading him to that moment. Ezekiel thought he was going to be a priest in the temple doing some sacrifices and teaching the law. But God chose him to be a priest to the whole nation of Israel who were in exile. God chose him and had been preparing him through that whole time to be a prophet, to be in tune with him. God had a bigger plan. Ezekiel just didn't know it at the time. So maybe today we just need to lift our eyes up from our present situation and to recognize that God is above all. He is mighty and he's glorious and majestic. And sometimes he just comes and meets us and blows our minds. We need to remember that God is present. Even in those times where it feels like God is so far away, We'll never reach him. He's never going to come near us again. It feels like he's back in Jerusalem and we're on the banks of the river Kiba with Ezekiel. It's that far away. But we need to remember that God is present. And also that God has a plan. He hasn't abandoned you. He has a plan.